<laughs> good morning, Living Word Baptist Church. And good morning to everyone listening on Facebook, our friends in Pakistan and elsewhere, and those who may listen to this sermon later on. I pray and trust that you will get a blessing out of it as we do the best we can to glorify the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord, I pray that you would bless this service to your glory and to your honor, Lord God. That you would open the ears and the minds and the hearts of those who hear it, Lord. Take it in. God, we just we love you. We want to serve you. We pray that your will be done here in this congregation and around the world. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Now today we're in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. So if you want to get your Bibles out, we turn to chapter 9. Uh, starting in verse 11, we will be looking at verses 11 through 28. But I'm going to start with reading verse 22. <clears throat> Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Amen. Now today, many people look at... Uh, the shedding of blood that's explained in the Old Testament, and they look at it with revulsion. It's, they think that's kind of gross, and it's you know not very pretty. Well, I didn't say it was pretty, but that's just the way it was. And they consider with equal horror the uh, New Testament's teaching about the shedding of Christ's blood. And they look at the hymns that talk about, that emphasize the effectiveness of the blood of Christ with similar disdain and contempt. Obviously, these people are lost. There's a lot of lost people in the world, and Christians, we're the ones responsible for telling them the good news. Those who scorn the shedding of blood have their eyes blinded to both God's absolute holiness and to the dreadful nature of sin. They don't understand either one of those things, and they don't want to understand it. Sin is a radical and terrible reality that calls for a radical and terrible cure. The world may not like to think about blood, but the writer of Hebrews tells us that it is, the, it is only the blood of Christ that can cleanse us from our sins. No, it's not just found in Hebrews, but we're in Hebrews, so I'm focusing on that. During the thousand years, think about this, during the thousand plus years of the Old Covenant, there were more than a million animal sacrifices. And I, had, I didn't stop and try to count them all up. I got that number from another text. But uh, I did look this up. So considering each bull... The average sized bull that was sacrificed had 14 gallons of blood. And goats, about nine pints of blood. And that's not including anything else that was sacrificed. The old covenant really did rest on a sea of blood. Animal blood. Yet, as we learned last Sunday in chapter 8, none of those thousands of 
sacrifices, none of that, the blood from all of those animals, none of them could take away sin. They just covered the sin temporarily. The sacrifices of the Old Testament could temporarily cover sins, but they looked forward to a future fulfillment. For this, for the sins to be forgiven, there needed to be a new covenant, a new covenant relationship that uh, fulfilled what was foreshadowed and promised by the old covenant. And that was Jesus Christ. We're given these verses. We're given in these verses the only effective remedy for sin. And we're going to take a look. There, there's three points that I want to make about the uh, remedy. The remedy is Christ's blood. First one, it is a remedy affecting the conscience, your conscience. Verse 11. <clears throat> but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh... How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? How much more, how much better is Christ's blood than animals? It's, it's significantly better. The blood of animals was able to purify the flesh of an unclean person. But the blood of Christ is able to purge the conscience from dead works, or in other words, sin, to serve the living God. Now let's take, a, let's take just a moment to understand what the, when they're saying dead works, what that means. He's referring to sin, but the works are dead because the unregenerate, those people who are still lost, they're unregenerate, are dead in their sins and trespasses. Their works are worthless and unproductive, and they ultimately end in death. Dead works will not save you. Any kind of works will not save you. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can save you, period. The animal sacrifices could not purge the conscience from dead works. Look at Hebrews 10.3. It says... But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. What did he mean by a reminder of sin? See, the sins were gone. It's a reminder. They're just covered. Therefore, Christ not only removes the legal guilt of sin, but also the inward or emotional guilt of sin. The sin's gone. It's gone. And no animal blood could do that, could make them gone. Only Christ's blood can make them gone. Second point is, it is a, re, a remedy offering forgiveness. Starting in verse 15. 
Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promise, the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Now, the Greek word that uh, that is twice translated in verse fifteen as covenant, datheka is also used twice in verse 16 and 17, but there it is translated will or testament. Okay? Now, it's actually the same Greek word is used in all four locations. The reason for the different meaning, the different translation, if you will, is that in verse 15, it is used in a religious sense. It is used religiously, hence a covenant. And it is used legally in verse 16 and 17, and thus translated testament or will, like the last will and testament. That's the difference. So if you're, if uh, Stan, if you're reading your Greek New Testament and you see that same word being used, uh, that's why. Now, there's two important truths here. A will demands a death. I have a will. For that will to be effective, i got to die. I'm hoping that will never has to be used. But it has to be a death. Look at verse 16, 17. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Okay? If you have made a will and you're still alive, it doesn't do anything for anybody. It might make them anxious because they don't know if they're in it or not. And if they are in it, what do they get? It doesn't operate until you're dead. doesn't take effect until your death. Now, the reference here is to a will that was made by a man who died. He couldn't save anyone or didn't help anyone as long as he lived, did it? You know, it is, not, it is not the perfect life of Christ that saves. I don't care how perfect Christ lived, that is not what saved. It is the death of Christ which saved you. The blood of Christ is what saves. Now, the second truth is forgiveness demands blood. Let's look at chapter eight, uh, verses 18 through 22. Therefore... Not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled the blood both the tent, and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. The writer of Hebrews, you see, is quoting from Exodus chapter 24. And he tells us that the old covenant was instituted with blood. He's He's reminding us that's what they did. That's what was required. 
From Exodus and Hebrews, we understand that everything of significance is literally soaked in blood. Half on the altar and half on the people and the scrolls. I don't imagine that that would be a very pretty sight if you think about it for just a little while. The altar and the people covered with blood. Blood splattered, if you will. Now, the two great institutions of the Old Testament, the law and the tabernacle, were both inaugurated with blood. Both with blood. Now, from this lavish use of blood used in the inaugurating of the two great uh, institutions of the Old Testament, we're given the principle found in verse 22. I'll read that again. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. The Old Testament emphasizes this dependence on blood for two important reasons. First, to emphasize the seriousness of sin. To emphasize the seriousness. The Bible takes sin very seriously. In fact, more serious than, I believe, any other religion. Sin alienates us from the presence of God. Sin is rooted in the heart of man. Sin cannot be removed by any self-help program. I don't care what anybody tells you. No other religion has any viable help to offer in the removal of sin. Did you know that? Let me give you an illustration. There was some years ago, there was a great meeting in Chicago of all the world's religions, and I'm, I don't know if every single religion was represented there, but, at, but if not, most of them were. And during one session, there's a Christian pastor, preacher who was there, Dr. Joseph Cook. Some of you may have heard of him. He's from Boston. He, he stood up and he said, Gentlemen, I beg to introduce to you a woman with great sorrow. Blood stains are on her hand, and nothing she's tried will remove them. The blood is of murder. She has been driven to desperation in her distress. Is there anything in any of your religions that will remove her sin and give her peace? Do you know what happened? Total quietness came over the, the meeting. Complete quietness. No one replied. Not a one. After waiting a little bit, Dr. Cook looked up to heaven and cried out, John, can you tell this woman how to get rid of this awful sin? He's talking about the Apostle John. He's calling on the Apostle John. And the great preacher, he just listened for a minute like he was listening for an answer. And then he said, listen, John speaks. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. That's 1 John 1, 7. Not a soul broke the silence when he said that. All the folks from Eastern religions and Western cults and so forth sat dumbfounded. They had nothing to say. 
and they have no uh, salvation to offer. Only the blood of Jesus has that. In the face of human need, the gospel of Jesus Christ alone met the need or can meet the need. The sins of mankind demanded the blood of Calvary. God demanded justice. He, he, he demanded a payment. And Jesus made the payment. Now the second reason is the costliness of forgiveness. And that's what I'm fixing. You know, I just led into that with Jesus paid for it. It's costly. It was costly to him. Sin leads to death and the payment for sin cannot be denied. Death is the payment for sin. Now, here's your choice. It is either going to be you who pay the price or Jesus Christ who pays the price for you. We will bear the penalty for our sins alone if you don't accept Christ. There's no other way. You know, there's there's a wonderful old hymn. I really like it and... And we are going to sing this hymn, I believe, at the end. It's called Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. And it goes something like this. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now, when we sing that, I want you to think about that. Now, our third point is the blood of Jesus is a remedy not needing repetition. You know, Jesus didn't need repetition. What he did was he did once, and that was it. It's not like the sacrificial system of old where they had to come and sacrifice every year over and over and over. Let's look at verse... uh, 23 through 28. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Now think about that for just, I'm going to stop right there for a second. Jesus Christ is in, is in front of God advocating on whose behalf? Our behalf. My behalf. Every other Christian that's ever lived or ever will live on their behalf in front of the Father. Let's go on. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest entered the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes a judgment, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And I'll tell you, with the state of the world today, 
I believe every Christian is eagerly waiting for Christ's return. I know I am. Therefore, today we can put it very simply. They're just one of two places for your sin. Either you keep your sin on yourself or you place it on Christ. There's no other option. If you have not accepted the sacrifice of Christ, if you are not trusting Him as your Redeemer, then there is nothing ahead of you but the judgment of the great white throne, according to Scripture. By the way, in case you don't know it, no one who appears there will be saved. Everyone standing at the great white throne judgment are lost and going to be, stay lost. But everyone there has a fair chance to stand up and speak their case. But their works won't save them. They rejected Christ. They're lost. End of story. And I have news for you. God is always right. Amen. I don't know if you realize that or not. But God said this is the way. And if you reject the way, then you call God a liar. And God's not a liar. God is always right. Always right. So today, if your sin is on you, there's nothing you can do to remove it, but the saving grace of Jesus Christ can remove it. In other words, nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's it. This is... This was really a a simple sermon to preach. Because the blood of Jesus is easy to preach. I mean, it wasn't easy to I mean it wasn't easy for Jesus, but he did it for us. If you think back to the Garden of Gethsemane when he was sweating blood, when he asked the Father if there's another way. There wasn't. So he, doing the will of his father. Paid the price for you and me. Paid the price because without the blood of Jesus, here it is, hold on to your seats, you're going to hell. That's it. There's no other other option. Some people think there are other options, but they are deceived by the lies of Satan. Amen. I'm going to wrap this up here in just a moment, but I'm going to... Take us back to January the 13th, 1982. Okay, there's a lot of you who may have not been born yet. Justin, were you born yet? No. I didn't think so. 1982. I was stationed at Fort Belvoir, Virginia. I was the executive officer of Headquarters Company, 3rd Engineer Battalion. Under that company, we had the Army Diving Unit. We were the divers for the Army. We were located there. And we got the news, Air Florida Flight 90, a Boeing 737 left Reagan National Airport and crashed a few minute, uh, a minute or so later. It hit the 14th Street Bridge and crashed in, through the ice of the Potomac River. I remember it well. I was on the scene within minutes. My divers were ready to roll. It was too late for those people that went down. 
We couldn't save them, but we could just recover their bodies, which we did for the next month, and all the parts. Now, there were, it, that accident took the lives of 78 passengers, crew, and passersby. Killed four people on the bridge. There was a man, there were six people who made it out of the airplane into the water. Six passengers in the icy water and the helicopters from the Coast Guard and Park Police came to try to save them and they lowered uh, flotation rings uh, on, on ropes. And there was a man there and five times he caught that ring and five times he handed it to somebody else and helped them get onto the ring. Finally, they came back for him. It was too late. He had been overcome by the cold and he went below the water. Now these, the people who he helped, they didn't know him at the time. They didn't know who he was. They didn't even know his name. But he gave his life so that others might live. His was an effective but costly sacrifice, wouldn't you say? Jesus made an effective sacrifice for your eternal life. And he's not dead. He's alive. Jesus Christ came to earth. You've heard me say this before from heaven. Born of a virgin. Grew up, ministered his, here on earth. Was arrested, prosecuted, humiliated, tortured, nailed to a cruel Roman cross and died. Before he died, he said, it is finished. What, what was finished? Your salvation was finished. And he, on the third day, he was buried. On the third day, he rose from the grave, was seen by many, was on earth for 40 days ministering, went Ascended into heaven while many people watched and is coming back. And if you don't know this, understand it. You are a sinner. You need saving. You need the saving blood of Jesus Christ. If you don't know it, if you don't believe it, read the scripture. Because we're all lost. We're all sinners. And when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you believe and repent of your sin, what what does it tell us in in Matthew? It says to go out and tell the good news. You have to, and it says repent. Believe your sins. Be baptized. Don't it? There you go. And it don't get much... Simpler than that. That's the gospel, folks. And that's all i got to say about that for today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we, we're so honored to be able to be here today. To be in a country where we can still uh, openly worship You, read Your Word, pray and serve You. Father God, help us to reach the lost wherever they are. In Christ's name, amen.